1: it's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me as ever is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Good, manners. great to be here as always. Great to have you. And this is the third edition of the Winter Series. We've kicked it off with two fast bowlers, but now we're taking a bit of a different tact. And we have one of the most esteemed cricket journalists in the world joining us. And when I think of South African cricket, um, I think a few things. But one of the things right at the top is Neil Manthorpe. Neil, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thanks
0: for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I mean, my premise for this winter special is I think that Australia and South Africa cricket contests are some of the most exciting uh, series in the last, well, since South Africa's readmission, but they've also been some of the most hostile. It, 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 there is a very, um, you know, big rivalry between the two nations and, you know, to bring you on and sort of do a little deep dive into it, I thought it'd be very interesting because, you know, it is such an important cricket rivalry.
1: It is, and it has been hostile. I mean, it's important to remember as well that there have been some contests which haven't been hostile, <laughs> and there are some great friendships that have been formed. But I think it is fair to say that it is it is a characteristic of South africa Australia series that uh, there's been hostility, and I, I, get, I get the sense you're just about to ask me where it comes from. Um, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Post post isolation was very different to the pre isolation series. I don't think the same hostility was there pre isolation. I think there was a lot more respect in the in the fifties and sixties, mutual respect. And South Africa weren't the force, of course, um, back then. Um, Australia were very very much the, the more dominant team, and so therefore that prevented uh, there being that competitive hostility, but post isolation um australia were very much the source of envy for the south african players um you know they they had the history and the tradition and the bloody baggy green Mm -hmm. and south africa had had none of that you see um and uh they they so so they were very very much a source of envy and then South Africa got routinely thrashed for uh, a, a couple of decades, or at least a decade and a half, which uh, bred resentment, um, and and uh, and and they got a little bit upstarty, I think. And uh, the Aussies were very keen to put South Africa in their place, so it was a just a perfect alignment of the planets, really, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, well, you've you've been lucky enough to sort of cover South Africa since readmission, and you've seen you know a lot of the cricket up close, and um, some good and bad memories. Let's start with your favourite memory of covering South Africa v Australia since readmission.
1: There have been lots, but nothing nothing tops the Boxing Day Test match in two thousand and eight. Um, I love the MCG. I'm an absolute G tragic, um, but. You know, that to, to, to coming off the back of the, the opening win in Perth, um, chasing 414, and, and it, it was the history. I mean, there's so few mountains to climb in, in, in international cricket. You know, so few records that haven't been broken. But, but South Africa had been trying to win in Australia for a century. You know, 11, 11 tours, never won in Australia. So to win in Perth and then... Uh, you know, I think Australians have probably forgotten mm. just how far behind South Africa were in that Boxing Day test match. You know, they. When. when uh, I'll remind you, just in case you, oh, no, you
0: don't have to, nail. I remember the Stain <laughs> partnership. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> South Africa was still 10 runs behind when they lost their seventh wicket. You know, so they, they were looking at the follow on. Um, so to win by lunchtime on day five was. Was incredible, and that's yeah, definitely, definitely my my favourite moment. There have been lots of other ones that have been very enjoyable for different reasons, and then of course you had Graham Smith coming out to bat with his broken hand in the third Test match. So that's my favourite series, but uh, but to win for the first time in Australia was amazing.
0: Yeah, and what what about the worst memory, the most painful? And, and you know, this is going to take some picking through to narrow it down to one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you don't you don't need to you really you don't need to ask me that do you because you know the answer i'll confirm it it was um I, i'll give you a couple of near misses um there's the um the new year's test match in uh 2002 <laughs> when australia were absolutely dominant i mean there was uh You know that South Africa were were hopeless. So Australia batted first. They made the usual five hundred and fifty, and and things were going reasonably well for South Africa. Um, And Herschel Gibbs and Gary Kirsten were batting. And I was staying. I was sharing an apartment with uh, the great Crash Craddock, and we decided uh, it was one of uh, those. um, Key West uh, apartments, and uh, so I decided that I was going to invite everyone round for for a curry that night. Um, so Malcolm Khan and um, and uh, and the, the the usual protagonists. So I popped out to buy some ingredients, <laughs> um, and I was only gone a couple of hours. Uh, just you know, I wanted to get ready. It was going to be a late finish, and I was going to be cooking. So, so. I went out and I, and I got the ingredients to make the curry that evening, and when I got back into the SCG, uh, I thought all was well because Herschel Gibbs was still batting. <laughs> but South going to be bowled out in a session <laughs> and, and followed on in my absence. So, so that was—I um, just thought, you know, we we shouldn't be here. It's <laughs> just a humiliating. But no, uh, it was. It was the world Cup semi final in ninety nine that was when my skin felt like it belonged to somebody else. Uh, it was a completely out of body experience that was uh and and it, and it took many years to get over that
0: uh i was uh, I, I I fortunately was on the other side of that. I was a spectator there in the ground at Edgebiston that day, and I was one of those mad people that ran on the field as Donald was run out at right at the end there so you know that that's probably um Almost my life highlight, um, <laughs> let alone cricket highlight. Uh, well, well, thanks for sharing those. Um, do, do you think that the hostility between, you know, Australia and South Africa really started? Because I felt that Hansi Cronier really, not only was he super competitive, but he really wanted to beat the Aussies.
1: He did. Um, he did. And that, and that was, uh, that remained his greatest cricketing regret. Um, until, until the day he died. Um, but but I, I don't think that he had a special um, dislike. He was very competitive and hated losing. And uh, as captain of the team that got routinely thrashed by Australia, that wouldn't have improved his mood much. So it may have looked like he uh, had more of a dislike <laughs> for Australia and
2: cricketers than he, than he actually did. What do you think the average um, South African, I know it's a hard thing to say, but, What's their viewpoint of uh, Australians in general? Is there a, a level of um, uh, animosity or do they feel like there's a um, friendship between them? And has the ball tampering made much of a change to that, do you think? Well, societally or, or just in the cricketing sense? I suppose both. In the cricketing sense, I suppose, first of all, yeah, the, the, what, what they think of Australian fans and Australian players. Well, I was determined not to talk too
1: much about David Warner. <laughs> but um i'm afraid he he did uh, he did change the landscape considerably um and I, I you know there was a great great deal of of respect um between between the teams um, a number of players crossed the australian line in in terms of uh well as far as south african cricketers were concerned. But Warner did so more than than anybody else um, and I have to say that there was very very great lack of sympathy or empathy um, towards him when the ball tampering incident happened um, and uh, and 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 that was really deeply un- unfortunate um in in many senses the se- the, the the couple of series that pre- preceded that actually um you know, there was uh, there was in terms of behavior from both teams, it was as Gideon Hay said uh, a couple of months ago, it was a race to the bottom. Australia <laughs> won it, but it was, uh, it was pretty <laughs> undignified.
0: I mean, I mean, that series win for South Africa uh, in 2017 must be so significant winning at home against the Aussies for the first time since readmission must've been um, just very special for the playing group.
1: M- well, huge. Absolutely. Yeah. M- massive. Um, and that, that also was uh, one of those mountains that had to be climbed. Um, and, you know, so, and it really, really hurt. Um, South Africa had, as I said, almost a century of getting used to going to Australia and losing and not being able to win there. Um, so, so you know, they would become accustomed to that. But it really hurt. It's the only team that hadn't been beaten on, on South African soil, <coughs> since, as you say, since uh, isolation. So... It was. It was. It was massive. It was. Um, it was. It was huge. The tone was set, wasn't it, in the first test? Um, you know, you you had both teams getting reverse swing before the ball was twenty overs old, mm. and there was there was a lot of confusion, would be a polite way of putting it, but uh, anger and um, and suspicion amongst mm. the Australians that. I was aware of and I'm amazed that it hasn't really been much has been made of it in the, in the, in the years subsequent to the ball tampering thing. But the Australians felt that that South Africans were up to, up to something (laughs) with the ball and no doubt they were. Um, It was a very rough outfield, a rough wicket. So, like, you know, both teams were throwing the ball in uh, into the ground and and getting one side to scuff up. But that was really, really nasty that was a that was a ill-tempered almost unpleasant to watch um test match and and the tone was set and in in retrospect and I have said this on a number of occasions it was a pity that uh, that that the match referee didn't or and the umpires you know they weren't we didn't have senior umpires for that series and very experienced umpires I just think in retrospect Somebody could have, uh, you know, got the captains together, and knocked their heads together, and said, "Listen, boys, you need to cool off."
0: Yeah, it just all fed into each other, didn't it? That series, you had the the De Kock incident and the stairwell, and then the Rabada getting let off. It just it, it built up and it exploded, uh, which which has happened before with Australia and South Africa. Though. Do you feel, from your point of view, Neil, that I, I often feel that the difference between South Africa and some other teams, is South Africa won't take a backward step. If Australia comes at them, they're they're willing to to go toe to toe. Whereas I feel that some other nations won't.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, they've you know there have been some pretty tough characters in the South African teams over the years. What was interesting actually um, to me was that um, the first team to win, Graham Smith's team in two thousand and eight, adopted a very very not meek and mild, but they they. They went out of their way to play the good guy, um, mm. and they they spoke to they granted every media interview. Uh, previous teams had been reticent and and um, and intimidated by by the media and and the way the Australian players their their perception of the way the Australian players used the media, um, and uh, and they felt that it was biased and. And they they adopted this sort of uh, they circled the wagons, you know. had adopted the crawl mentality, and 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 it was it was Graham Smith and Mickey Arthur in two thousand and eight said, you know what? What are we scared of? What the hell are we? Why why are we retreating? We just need to open up, be ourselves, be honest, and um, and then laugh it off if somebody stitches us up in the newspaper. And and that's what they were. And they and they um, they. Smith, in particular, the young captain, was determined to show the Australians that you didn't have to behave like a dickhead to win.
2: Just um, switching tack, what's the, the, the future of the, the, the short term future of South African cricket looking like? We've been hearing from afar of turmoil with the board and journalists having their accreditation revoked and a general lack of confidence. Uh, has that settled down? Have you got some optimism for the next few years? Uh, it's as bad as ever, I'm afraid.
1: Um, you know the so so there there was a, a huge wave of optimism a couple of months ago when Graham Smith was appointed as director of cricket, and his influence is astonishing in world cricket. You know the the. Cricket South Africa is heading towards bankruptcy at pace, losing money left, right, and centre. The only reason they're not bankrupt is because the rand is depreciating so quickly, and the, they, their dollar-based income uh, is worth more and more. That's kept them afloat. But uh, Graham Smith, as director of cricket, the first thing he did, one of the first things he did, was fly to Calcutta, meet up with his old mate Sourav Ganguly, and persuade him to agree to a unscheduled three T20 international tour, which is worth $10 million. And a current exchange rate of 18 to one to 180 million Rand. Graham Smith could, could just do that. He then spoke to the ECB persuaded them to play two, uh, three T20 internationals um, as part of their short tour uh, towards the end of the year. So, you know, just in a, in in the space of a month, he generated potentially well pre-COVID, of course, it potentially generated you know 200 million rand. And then the CSA president Chris Nenzani went to appear before the sports minister in a parliamentary portfolio committee meeting last week. And the minister said, "Why did you appoint a white man as director of cricket?" So we never ever ever more than you know. A, a few centimeters away from from race racial tension and it it just pervades it's pervasive um, and it affects everything so you know the 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 chief executive was suspended tabang Moreau for for allegations of of malpractice and misappropriation of funds and and uh, credit card abuse all sorts of things he's been suspended for six months on full pay. And, and it's not being resolved because it's perceived to be a, a racial issue. So South Africa is is uh, is facing a constant, constant battle um, on the field and particularly off it.
0: Yeah, it must be very hard for the proud South African fans to see a lot of players go and either go coal pack deals and play in England, or like Peterson and labashane emigrate and and then go on and have successful careers for other countries.
1: Uh, it's interesting you mentioned those two. There's a big difference, isn't there? I mean, um, Labuschagne left when he was was he, um, he ten? Yeah, I mean that. That good on him. Lots of South Africans have <laughs> emigrated to Australia. A lot of them are here um, in
0: Sydney, Neil. I've met them all. <laughs> I've met them all in cafes.
1: Most of them are in Perth, aren't they? they call yeah, them the boat in Perth
2: people as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so that you know. South Africa does have a lot of problems, um, and if you and if you decide to leave, then keep your mouth shut. That that was all. Um, that was the you know that uh, you don't. But those of us who <laughs> remain here um, have to live with those uh, problems, um, and you don't need people uh, leaving um, with a, a full of abuse for the country that uh, that they were born in and and that that was, you know, mostly pretty, pretty good to them. So there's no, there's no resentment, but, but um, apart from in, in Peterson's case, you know, um, I, I I, like Kyle Abbott, uh, for example, um, he's, he's, he's sad, you know, I mean, he's happy that he's got a a great deal with Hampshire and, um, and he's, and there's a, regular cricket and um, and selection is entirely on merit and he's got security and he's being very well paid. Um, but, but you know, he's um, he, it wasn't
2: an easy decision for him. When he came out here in 2016 and destroyed Australia, I was sort of thinking he's on the verge of being just about the best bowler in the world. Is it naive of me to say that maybe world cricket should have done something and India and Australia and England... Dipped into their pockets and said, "We understand the financial situation. Here's enough money for the top players like him to stay in South Africa, so that we don't lose them to the international game."
1: It's interesting, isn't it? There, I mean, there's, there has been talk on and off about minimum salaries uh, for for Test match appearances around the world. Um, I don't think it's it's practical. It's a it is a uh, it is a it is a lovely idea, um, and. You know, I, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Abbott. I it is about money, I, I, you know. But I, I, he would have got a national contract, I, I suppose. But you know, he he, like like everybody else. I mean, unless you're Jacques Callis or, or, or Dale stain or, or Ab a. de Villiers, you know. You but if you're a if you're a fast bowler, you you look at the the demographics of the of the squad, and 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 you say, well there have to be um, five, six players of colour in the team. Uh, you've got Kahisa Rabada, Lungi and Gidi, um, Vernon Philander. And, you know, it, 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 but it's the same, the same reason that Duan Olufir, who also destroyed Pakistan in his last test mm-hmm. series, you know, he took 23 wickets in three test matches. Um, but but you know because there's a, a lack of, of of black batsmen um, and a, and a and a lot of very very fine black fast bowlers, guys like Abbott and Ollafir will they very carefully, very very astutely won't say it publicly. But you just look at just look at the numbers and look yeah. at you know where where the 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 black talent is, and. Um, and you it's hard not to reach the conclusion that that, that you
2: know you're you're going to struggle to to be a regular so do you think the quota system has uh, a loaded question but is the, is the quota system the right system
1: yeah it does it well it needs to be represented in, we, the national team needs to be representative it it absolutely does and and you can't um well, you can sit back in a utopian world and say, just select on merit. If you're good enough, you're good enough. But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You know, if you, despite, or take away all of the, the moralizing, look at it from a financial perspective. If you've got a big sp- sponsor, a big bank, a big brand in South Africa, they want to sell their product to 90% of the market. And they're not going to sponsor a team that is made up of, of 10% of the population or 15% of the, the population. I mean, it, it really, it comes down to that. You know, that's, that's when, when, when we say uh, the team needs to be representative, people assume that uh, that's a, a philanthropic um, ideal for the demographic of the team, But it, and it is. I mean, it should be, it should be representative, but it's also a very, very practical issue. And 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 so is is the quota system the right? It's it it, it doesn't sit easily with almost anybody. Um, but uh, but it's a necessity. It's a necessity because uh, the team isn't being selected in a in a demographically rep- representative way otherwise.
0: Just switching um, to something a bit local. The Sydney Sixers in the WBBL have a couple of outstanding female players in Darnay, Van Naykirk and Marazana Cap. Uh, how is women's cricket going in South Africa? In, in Australia, it's the feel-good story of almost sport. Uh, and the Australian women's cricket team uh, embraces one of the most popular national sides. H- how's women's cricket going in South Africa?
1: It's on a steep a- ascent. I mean, uh, from from a from virtually a standing start, you know, three or four years ago, it was very very marginalised um, and very sparsely supported. It was a real battle for for the ladies um, to keep the game alive at domestic level. It was virtually non-existent, strictly strictly amateur. And then three years ago, they got uh, momentum. To, um, Financial services company stepped in and and um, offered six professional contracts, um, uh, and that that didn't work. So um, how pay. do you pick six? You have to <laughs> yeah. So they then made that twelve, and it's now fifteen. And uh, I mean, cricket South Africa are taking women's cricket more seriously than they ever ever have done before. Uh, there's there's has been talk about uh, equal pay, just just talk at this stage, but um, you know the for the for the first time at the T20 World Cup, you had it, it, you had a lot of you just had cricket people, you know before it was supporters of women's cricket, but the T20 World Cup and the run to the semi-finals, uh, you had just cricket people around the country watching for the for the first time that that I'm I'm seriously aware of. So it's now, women's cricket's now a major player.
0: Oh, Good to hear.
2: The success of the men's side over the last few years has been a constant ever since readmission that whether South Africa, to my eyes anyway, South Africa has never been anything other than ranging from pretty good to excellent. With the turmoil off the field, is there a danger that that will change? Do you fear for the, the men's team's performance in the coming years that they will slip from their, their high position at the moment?
1: I don't, you know. and I, I just, The reason for that is that South Africa has always been a net exporter of cricketers. Um, and, and that's been going on for 100 a, a years. You know, it's it's not just Manus Labuschagne or Labuschain who's <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> gone to Australia. It's uh, it, you know, that, I mean, look at the England team over the last fifty years. There's uh, there's always been a South African in it, and and that's because of the the school system. You know, there's there's fifty plus um, schools which have magnificent facilities, really brilliant facilities. You know, there's the there's the weather, the the history, the culture, and and so you know there are only there are only six franchise teams, um, and so if you've got fifty schools playing cricket to a very high level, um, and if each one of them, even even if even if only half of them produce one potential first-class cricketer, there's still not enough space for them to uh, to earn a living. And I, you know, that that South African team that I, I mentioned, you, you look at Hashim Amla and Graham Smith and Ab de Villiers and Dale Steyn and and, uh, and and Sean Pollock and, you know, they're, they're all sort of once in a generation kind of cricketers and, and suddenly there were five of them in the same team. So it's very hard to expect those kind of standards to be met. But I I, I just think that provided that there's good coaching um, and that is really important, I think South Africa will continue to produce very, very good cricketers. and. A lot of them will go overseas and a lot of them will leave. Um, And some may take up golf instead of of cricket. Um, And there will be a lot less money in cricket, I think, around the world in uh, post-COVID-19, post-coronavirus times. But um, I just think South Africa will remain competitive.
0: I, I heard uh, crash on the radio or actually another podcast recently telling the story of following the, the Cronier scandal. And he said that he was staying with you at the time, maybe. Um, so it seems like you've got a, a good relationship with the Australian cricket media. You mentioned uh, Malcolm Connor Paul and I both know very well. Um, so I guess a couple of questions on that. So how, how's your relationship with the Australian cricket media? Cause they're known to be pretty hostile. Uh, not so much to journalists, but the way they write. And and just generally since readmission as a journalist, you have had a stack of stuff to write about. I mean, there hasn't been thin on stories in South African cricket.
1: <laughs> some of my, some of the, yeah, some of the best people I know on earth are uh, the Australian cricket media. Um, so some brilliant, brilliant men. Mike Coward was uh, was was not exactly on his way to the airport, but uh, he was he he booked his tickets. Uh, he was bringing his partner Peter to come and stay with us in Cape Town. Peter's never been to South Africa before, so uh, he's a you know he's a like a godfather to me. Um, unfortunately, he had to cancel, obviously. But yeah, uh, you know, the the I I really, really enjoy the Australian cricket media. I really do. And, and it, it was a source of extreme frustration and uh, frustration and amusement in, in many ways um, that, that for so long, Australian, uh, South African cricketers felt that, um, that, that, that the media, the, the Australian media were, were biased and, and they were almost an ally to the Australian team and i tried and tried and tried to explain i said no that's not it's just it's not true it's not true they they write rubbish about you because you're playing rubbish uh, but i said you know have you have you, have you ever seen the australian newspapers when an australian cricketer goes wrong or goes off the rails or when they get thrashed or when they have you have you seen them turn on their own um, and of course, none of them have because because Australia always won when they played against South Africa for so long. But um, I, no, I I, I think uh, I think it's tough. It's really the media in Australia is very competitive. I mean, it's the second most competitive that I've experienced. There's obviously the English media where you know everyone's looking for a scoop and uh, everyone wants uh, exclusives, left, right, and centre. Um, and that exists in uh, in Australia, although less so now. It's basically just kind of two groups. Um, but we don't have that in in South Africa. We we, we don't have it's. We're very very soft, um, uh, and it's there's very few people prepared to to just say it like it is and to you know to put it put it down in black and white.
0: Yeah, don't worry. Crash will do that if he has to. There's no doubt about that. But he says exactly what you said, Neil. That if that they will hammer the Aussies just as much as I hammer overseas teams. So they they say it's very fair.
1: Yeah, and I've seen it. Um, as the 20, 2016 series. Uh, well, that was some bloodletting there. Goodness <laughs> me, it was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a weak Australian team, wasn't it? But you know, I mean, there, there was so, uh, I. I mean, I actually brought some newspapers back with me. I've got them here in my study because uh, it was brutal. It was some of the most brutal sports writing I've ever experienced. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was. I mean, honestly, you'd you'd have thought that there were there'd been assassinations taking place. It was. Uh, I mean, that, after the after South Africa's win in Hobart, mm. wow, I mean, we. five the five players were dropped, weren't they?
0: That's right. If yeah. you'd been if you'd been here after this the sandpaper scandal, you would have seen that times ten or twenty. It was was quite the explosion. Paul, have you got any questions for Neil before we get on to our last segment?
2: I was just gonna ask, um we've probably got a lot of listeners, Neil, who are um, Australians who've never travelled to South Africa who would love to say follow the Australian side over there. You probably get asked this a lot and it's probably not something you like to to, to to get asked, but is it a safe country for, for someone from Australia to visit? Do you need to be on an organised tour? Should people come?
1: I, I don't mind being asked that question at all, and, I, and I'm, I'm delighted to, to answer it. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Um, when Gary Kirsten got uh, appointed as head coach of India, we 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 chatted about it uh, at some length i've known gary for a long time I, I wrote his book after he retired and um and he said to me just casually he said yeah well um debs and i are thinking of that we'll be based in dubai and um i i just i mean i i kept my cool but only just i said gary national coach of india and you're going to live in Dubai? I said, "What? Why? 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 Why would you do that?" He said, "Oh, you know, just sort of healthcare and, and that kind of thing." I said, "Gary, there's 1.4 billion people live in that country. There's there's 500 million children. You're not thinking this through. And Australians need to remember that there's." 60 million people in South Africa, um, and we have children and, um, and the country has its problems. But, you know, I mean, ask yourself this. I mean, are there certain areas of downtown Sydney where you'd be concerned about going after 10 o'clock at night? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I've never been past the rocks in Sydney um, in the 15 times I've been there that's the S C D and the Rocks for me. But you know, I mean I know that you know there are certain parts of of Manchester and Liverpool um and places in the UK.
0: Plenty of cities in the States where if you take the wrong turn you who knows what's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well exactly, exactly. So um well I would say you don't you don't need to be on on an organized tour um to to come to South Africa. Uh you know that we um the (laughs) Uh, No, you you don't. Um, There are very, very, very poor, underprivileged areas where gangsterism is rife um, and and drugs are rife and life is cheap and unfortunately um, it can be dangerous, particularly for the inexperienced and the uninitiated. But that's generally speaking not a side of South Africa that you will come anywhere near if uh, if you come on a cricket tour or you go and visit the Kruger National Park or, and many of the other um, sites and, and tourist destinations in in the country it's a very very beautiful country um, with beaches and winelands and mountains and and you know it's um, if you if you <laughs> if you stick to the to the if you stick to the path um, and follow the signs um, then uh, it's it's can also be a very safe country, but it does have extreme poverty.
2: Oh, it's good to hear that. I'm, uh, you know, uh, I think Miners and I are very keen at some stage to to get over there for for a cricket series or or, or something else. So yeah, um, that's that's really encouraging, and um, hope our listeners um, uh, visit the next time there's a, when we're all travelling around the world again.
1: No, oh, I look forward to showing you around.
0: Well, Neil, we're ending every winter series podcast with um, making our guest the, the 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 ruler of cricket. So we're going to give you things to decide on, and you can tell us briefly uh, yes or no, basically. Um, and uh, I'll start things off with the first question: is do you understand this three team format of cricket that was invented in South Africa recently? <laughs>
1: Um, I think I do understand it it hasn't been played so I haven't seen it Um, but uh, the the really really amusing thing is that every time somebody's tried to explain the rules it sounded very very complicated (laughs) Um, and and it's been hilarious because you know the organizers and the the guys who conceived it uh, we had a a, a virtual press conference, a zoom press conference, and every time they were asked a technical question, they talked themselves straight into a <laughs> hole from which they found it very very hard to to talk themselves out of it and so so I've found that as well because it's so unfamiliar and it's it's uh, unprecedented and and because we are so familiar with the rules of conventional cricket, it becomes really tricky trying to explain it. So don't ask me to, to, explain, to explain it, it. but I, I think I understand it. So there's three teams and they all bat for six overs twice.
0: Yeah, That's how I understood it. And there's a gold, silver, and a bronze. And if there's a three-way tie, they all get gold medals. So <laughs> what about something a little bit more conventional, four-day test matches? You You got a problem with that? I want to have a problem with it,
1: but I don't. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i i i really really sympathize with traditionalists who say test match test matches are five days and that's it and that's always the way it's been well that's absolute rubbish of course test matches have been three days four days five days six days and timeless um and it just makes so much sense um as far as the Scheduling goes, you know, we there aren't enough days in the year. Everybody wants uh, to to tour You know, so to have a three test series in three weeks just makes so much sense. Mm. Thursday to Sunday uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off Thursday to Sunday, you know done and dusted three tests in three weeks and um, and It would work, Uh, you know, there are a lot of test matches that uh, Don't go to the fifth day anyway, increasingly so Um, and for for countries that I was I was going to say for rich countries like England, India, and Australia, but you're you're not rich anymore, are you? You're also uh, <laughs> got a few financial problems in it's a low Australia. Blow. It's a low blow. <laughs> But but for the for the countries like South Africa, who who have been struggling financially for, for years, um, it's very costly uh, to have that fifth day that's uh, not being used, and in fact. Right. There, you know, it, we've had a number of uh, three-day test matches. Um, and I know that, I know, I, I, honestly, it's a subject that I've uh, I've written extensively about and spoken about extensively and spoken to a lot of people. I'm aware of all of the arguments. Um, and may I just say, what's wrong with the Ashes remaining five days? What what's, I don't have a problem with some test matches being four days and some being five days. I absolutely don't. Don't have a problem with that at all.
0: What about uh, the amount of teams in a World Cup? There's been a lot of talk that you know when the ICC contracted the fifty-over World Cup that it was bad for the health of international cricket. Uh, which side of the fence are you sitting on on that one? Fourteen teams.
1: Uh, I had long, long arguments with uh, discussions, bordering on arguments with Harun Logat when he was chief executive of the ICC, and he said. We're moving all of the associate na- nations towards the T20 World Cup. That's going to be their World Cup. Um, and of course, that is exactly how it's transpired, except that it's not really because all the minnows go and, go and swim in a small pond for two weeks before yeah. the big boys arrive. So, you know, it's, it's not really, it's not, you know, it's a compromise. It's a compromise. But definitely for me, um, there have been some wonderful performances, and I also think that the quality of cricket being played by the associate nations is improving. Yep. I think they're getting better and better and better. And and you know, it was it was a it was a problem, wasn't it, when um, when you had teams clearly clearly out of their depth. Um, but nowadays, there is more and more of the possibility of uh, of a surprise, and you know, teams like the UAE. Dougie Brown's doing an amazing job as coach of the UAE, and, and teams like. Scotland and and, uh, the Netherlands and, you know, I mean, how can we have 12 test playing nations and only 10 of them get to play in the World Cup? Mm. That's just, that's just nonsense.
0: I agree.
2: Um, Neil, if you had to pick um, the four best South African batsmen ever, my short list, and you can disagree with this, but if you agree with them, how would you rank them of um, Palace, De Villiers, Barry Richards and Graham Pollock? That was just brutal.
1: That's a horrible, horrible question. <laughs> com- completely unanswerable. I printed, it, I printed it off. And I've... Uh, the listeners won't be able to see if I hold it up to the screen. You'll be able to see. I've, got, I've, I've, I've written number one, two, three, and four, and crossed them out about 16 times. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Graham Pollock, Barry Richards, Jacques Callis, and A.B. de Villiers. I mean, that's just. I don't know. Can you rate them? Can you? I mean, can you? Either of you? Honestly, well, the hard can, you, thing, can you? Can you?
2: Can you go one, two, three, four with with those four? Uh, if I if I had to do it, I'd have Callis at four. I'd have. Um, uh, it's hard. I'd have Davilia's at three. <laughs> I'd have. I'd have Richards at two with an asterisk that I think if he actually got to play more Test cricket because I think he got he got a bit bored in county cricket, and I'd have Graham Pollock at one. But if you ask me tomorrow, I probably have a different different order.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's just um, that, that, that you're showing showing a, a historical bias there because you've 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 gone in reverse age order. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Honestly, I mean, you know, di- different. Di- I mean, if I said to you you need someone to score 100 before lunch, then, then you're not going to go with Jacques Callis. But, you know, if you want someone to, to bat 100 overs, which, which of those four you said, I, I, need, I absolutely need someone to bat 100 overs for my life, which one would you go with?
0: Callis, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they are quite different, aren't they? I, yeah. I, I think you'd, um, you'd definitely want, well, would you go with Barry Richards or A.B. de Villiers to score you 100 off 100 balls?
2: Uh, probably A.B. de Villiers, but, but that's kind of a, um, now flipping my vi- bias around to bias for modern times. Had Barry Richards grown up at the same time as A.B. de Villiers, it might have been a different story. Yeah. Good question, but impossible. I give up. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> no, you've been very lucky. though. You did get to watch Carlos and de Villiers play a number of test matches and score plenty of hundreds. Uh Neil, thank you so much for joining us on the winter series of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I was trying to think, what was your first tour to Australia? Was it 92, 93?
2: 93, 94. 93, 94, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And because uh, I, I remember even back then when it's South Africa stole that test match at the SCG with Farney Villiers uh, steaming in. Then after the game, uh, Farney was on the outfield with his car, his remote control car, and you were there. And um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I was being serious at the When I think of South African cricket, I think of, um, you know, your great work around the team. And uh, it's just an absolute pleasure to finally have you on the podcast. So thank you.
1: Ah, oh, thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been great. I've got plenty of time on my hands at the moment.
0: <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs>
1: well, thanks very much, no, Neil. Thanks for having me.
0: So you can head to Manners on Cricket if you want to see all of Neil's work. Uh, this is the third edition of the Winter Series. We'll be back soon.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.